it's Dr. Stu's podcast with me, Dr. Stu, and my friend Kimberly Durden. We're here together. We're podcast number 115. Wow. Uh, it's good to see you, Kimberly. We've been off for a little bit, so yes. we've had a busy summer with our oh families. You've had some exciting news, but before I get to that, I have to go through the uh, laundry oh, list think? here. So you can find us at uh, iTunes.com. You can find us at uh, Facebook at drstuespodcast.com. As a matter of fact, I've started a new thing where I'm going to be posting some of the links and other things not only on the website but also on Dr. Stu's podcast Facebook page. So for some of the things we'll talk about on oh, our podcast, idea. you'll be able to find it there. Might be a little bit easier for people. You can email me at askdrstu at gmail.com. We're going to be reading at least one email today. And you can like us on Facebook and uh, give us five stars uh, <laughs> and all that other stuff. Twitter and what? We're oh, good? Yeah, we're good. Oh, John, John's <laughs> checking us out. First of all, before I get any further, I have to uh, give a shout out to my producer, John, because John, you, Kimberly, you don't know this. Because John puts up with a lot. John, <laughs> well, John is part of a nomination for Best Fight Against the System video in the, the Video VMAs. Music Awards, which is going to be on tomorrow night, uh, August 27th, or Saturday, excuse me. Yeah, that's tomorrow. Sunday. Sunday, August 27th, which will probably be after this podcast is up, for a song with uh, Taboo, who was a singer with, uh, he's with who? Black the Black Eyed Peas. He's doing his own uh, song called Stand Up. So congratulations, John. Hey, Yay. that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, we don't so have any sound effects, but if we did, we'd have an audience I could streaming. go. I'm actually not going this year, though. <laughs> I'm very involved with uh, several artists on the show because we do like um, a lot of people's live shows that are performing, too. So it's cool, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. So it's kind of nice to actually just be at home and watch it. Tell me a little bit more about the category, Best Fight Against the System. Well, his song was about the Alaskan pipeline. He's part Native American, so he did a song. And so I think... Well, that I that, mean the Dakota pipeline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Alaskan... Alaskan <laughs> pipeline's been yeah. there for a long time, yeah. right? Yeah, the Dakota... The reindeer, he's the reindeer right, protest. Right, right, yeah. One, right. The Dakota pipeline. So he wrote yeah. a song about that because he's part Native American. Ah. And, um, so I think that the whole thing is um, all the artists, it's the more political um, side of the VMAs, the artists who are sort of like have songs that are making a statement or something. Well, do you know that you know if Dr. Seuss podcast was nominated for uh, best, best fight against the <laughs> right. best fight against the system? Because you know, best fight against the home birthing system or yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the hospital birthing yes. system. Why? Right. <laughs> Who else would get an award right. besides us? All, right, All right. Well, thanks. Congratulations, John. That's really cool. Then, then what would our video look like? Yeah. That's what what I thought of. And also, um, John, if you're not going, can I get your tickets? Right. <laughs> 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 Maybe you should give them a stew. They're probably right next to his house downtown. No, no, we checked on that. They're at the, at the forum. forum. They're at the forum. Oh, it's yeah. in Inglewood. Yeah, last year was in Madison Ooh. Square Garden. So this year it's on the West Coast. I guess it alternates every year. So that's kind of cool. Hook anyway, me up, John. So yeah. that's fantastic. I also want to acknowledge uh, two of my listeners in Portugal. Nice. Uh, Mariana and Sarah, uh, who I Skyped with this past week, they have invited uh, Dr. Stu to come and speak uh, on home birthing in um, Portugal. Well, home birthing in general. In May of next of 2018, so I'm accepting that. That's awesome. And all we're doing is juggling the dates right now because my daughter's obviously going to be graduating college that month, so i got to figure oh, that wow. out. So I think uh, her graduation's the weekend of the 11th to 13th. So we're going to probably be in, in Lisbon, Portugal on the weekend of May 20th of 2018. As long as I'm talking Super about exciting. those sorts of things. Yeah, on October 7th, I'll be in Boston to do A Day with Dr. Stu. I think I saw that. Yeah, and I think Karen Strange is going to give a lecture on, on yeah. delayed cord clamping or something as well. Uh, but otherwise, I think I'm giving four four lectures and maybe a tutorial on breech delivery with my new uh, Sophie model. 
Uh, so that's in Boston, and you can find those links on my website and also on the Dr. Stuart Fishbein OBGYN Facebook page. That's awesome. Anybody interested, please share that information because maybe you have some East Coast friends yeah. who would want to come. And doctors and medical residents are free. What? Yeah. That's amazing. We're charging, you get <laughs> we're a charging high five. midwives. We're charging midwives and we're charging, you know, health health workers, but we're not charging doctors and residents. Because you want them to come. Because we want them to come. Right. But you know what? That's part this is part of your dream and it's happening. Well also we can't offer them CMEs, whereas we can offer CEUs for the mm. midwives. CMEs were too hard for us to get. Um they right. they didn't feel my topic was mainstream enough to offer CMEs for it. My old alma mater. It's a medical University topic, was, though. It's very yeah, but useful, it's, incredibly but, useful. But home birthing, home birthing for breach, not not in their in their. Um, right, it's not in their paradigm. Yes, thank you for mm-hmm. the, filling out my sentences. Mm-hmm. That's why I have Kimberly here to completely for, complete my sentences for, for me. when I can complete them. <laughs> most of the time, I can't complete yeah. my own sentences. So that's really good. And then I want to honor a, a couple of, uh, of my, my births that I've had in the, in the last month since our last podcast. Yeah. Um, I won't speak people by name, but a lot of them have posted on Facebook. Uh, we, I was fortunate enough to deal with two breach moms down in San Diego last month, and uh, or actually, yeah, actually er, earlier this birth? month. How close together did they? Birth? Well, they were four days apart. That's great. But I spent three of those four days in San Diego because the labors were were long, and and one of them ended up getting transported because at five centimeters, uh, there was nothing presenting. Oh, nothing. You could feel nothing. Wow. So it turned out the baby ended up com- converting from like complete breach to footling oh. breach or whatever. But we couldn't tell if there was cord or anything down there. So yeah. she had to go and she was disappointed. Yeah. But she ended up having a very beautiful cesarean section birth and she yeah. knew that she needed. So she got that satisfaction. As much as she's disappointed, she at least got to try. That's right. Right. Absolutely. And the other one was a mother of two other beautiful little girls who had a baby boy that was two pounds heavier than her two little girls. Oh. Um, my first... Uh, not intended, but my first all fours breach water birth. So the mom was all all fours, and she was in the water. She was in the tub, and I couldn't get her out. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. She showed so, you, Doctor Stu. Yeah, so that's where we had the baby. So <laughs> well, you learned something new. I did. You learned something yeah, new. Yeah, beautiful be- family, lovely people. That's good. You um, so congratulations that. to those San Diego people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just wish that people who were breach could live in maybe Glendale or. Or West Hollywood, <laughs> as opposed to Dude. as opposed to Santa Barbara, or San Diego, because I'm spending a lot of time on the road. Oh well, at least it's a nice drive. I actually have to go down there tomorrow to San Diego. Yeah, so yeah, I want to send also also a uh, get well soon to my uh, my lovely student Catalina, who happened to fall down and break her wrist, <laughs> breaking up a dog fight. So um, Catalina, get better. It's really hard to be a midwife or a midwife student with a dominant hand with a cast on it for six mm. weeks. So, uh, but we're going to keep getting you educated as much as we can. Mm. Uh, then I also want to, uh, congratulate a couple other people. I have, um, some people in uh, LA proper who, um, had births at home and did a really good job. Um, they know who they are, but I specifically <laughs> want to talk a little bit about the most recent one, which was a transfer of care to Paul Crane at Cedar sinai okay. Paul Crane... As a dear friend of mine who's been a colleague of mine for a really long time, um, uh, he's slowing down a little bit. He's not working as much anymore, but he was willing to take this lovely couple. They were from Santa Barbara, and they had a previous cesarean section, and they uh, wanted to have a home birth. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's uh, verboten in, um, in Santa Barbara, and feedbacks right. are also banned in Santa Barbara. So they sought me out, which a lot of Santa Barbara bombs do because mm-hmm. I do speak up there with the ICAM meeting sometimes. 
and uh, they were doing fine up until the, like the last six weeks of the pregnancy. We noticed the baby wasn't growing that well. And so by 39 weeks, the baby, all the measurements of the baby were below the third percentile, which was what we call intrauterine growth restriction. Mm -hmm. uh, the mother's blood pressure was up a little bit. She had something called uterine artery notching, mm. uh, which I'll talk about in a, in a subsequent letter. She had something, or, or not a letter, but, a, but an article. And um, the placenta was very small, and she had a, ver a very uh, precarious insertion of her umbilical cord. And all these things together was saying that, you, you know what, you're 39 weeks, you're not in labor, your cervix is moderately favorable, um, you need to be induced. Mm -hmm. So then they came to the question of, and they agreed, again, not happy about it, but they, they, they know, they trusted our, our team mm -hmm. to give them the best advice possible, and then where to do it. So they didn't want to go back to the hostile Santa Barbara because no one's going to do an induction on a VBAC in right. Santa Barbara. Right. So since they were at my office in Century City at that time, I thought of Paul and I mm -hmm. called Paul and he was really gracious and he said, yes, I'll take her. Oh, fantastic. And the baby tolerated labor moderately. There, had, there were some variables, sometimes with late return, but he gave her a very low dose pit and over the next 12 hours or so, she went to complete and she pushed the baby out in fantastic. 20 minutes. And the baby weighed exactly what we thought it would weigh which is, again, lucky because that's not what ultrasound estimated fetal right. weights have a, a fairly large error. But the smaller the baby, the more accurate they are. And this baby weighed four pounds, 13 ounces oh, at 39 weeks. Oh, boo-boo. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So he's doing great. And uh, uh, the family's great. They're back up at home so in Santa Barbara. So IUGR. But I just wanted to say it's a very nice uh, picture of what collaboration should look like. Yeah, absolutely. All right? Yeah. Um, she wanted a home birth. She wanted a VBAC. She couldn't have it where she was. She found somebody who would right. give her that option. That practitioner, me and my team, we were re we're not unreasonable. We're not going to be cowboys and be ridiculous. At, right. at some point, she needed to be uh, induced. She trusted us enough to go there. Then she ended up uh, having somebody who was very supportive of her in the hospital. Right. The nurses and everybody were supportive, and she got what she wanted, uh, right. not exactly the way she wanted. Exactly. And that's really great. And I, I'd like to... Uh, also give a shout out to uh, Beth Cannon and yes. um, Davi, uh, Davy Khalsa, who spoke yesterday. Again, the timing of when I say these things is not consistent because the podcasts come out later. Well, that would have been August 24th, I think, was yesterday. So we could say okay, that. Okay, August 24th at Kaiser. Mm -hmm. uh, to the Kaiser Sunset. Kaiser Sunset to the medical staff there. Oh, you read the you read the. Post I didn't too? read it, but I, I noticed that Kaiser Sunset medical team was uh, uh, hobnobbing with uh, Anna Paula our doula hero, doula trainer yeah. hero here in LA. I think they did a training or a session or something with Anna Paula. And then I saw Beth's post yesterday, which is so exciting. And by the way, you know what I thought of? I thought of that Kaiser uh, Cadillac had asked us to come talk about home birth. Me, you, and some folks at the sanctuary back then. And, and they never followed through. And I don't think that the doctor there was able to get that was excited about it was able to get people to be interested in us huh. speaking at a grand Maybe we round. should try again. So, but I will say that. Because that was years ago. Yeah. That was years ago. But, you know, I think, I don't know what the politics are, but I know that Kaiser Sunset, I did do have a couple bursts at Kaiser Sunset with some doula clients that were amazing. And uh, I loved, like, also they have midwives there, by the way. They have well, Karen that's Asher. They have yeah, um, yeah, and and Susan, Susan, yeah, exactly, and, and Susan Mitch, and and, the, and those people are the ones that set it up. Yeah, and that's really Beth, helpful. And, and again, yes. the whole point was that Beth. When I talked to Beth this morning about it, she told me that, you know, she brought her whole bag, her whole gear. She brought her hands outs that she gives, her little booklet it. that she gives. 
because they, these people have no idea. Right. All right. they see are the, the transports, sometimes inappropriately delayed transports, right. and those are the things that they remember. And it's sort of like you don't see the, you know, if you go, like, if there's a, a, if there's a, a peaceful march right. and there's a thousand people there, and two people end up throwing urine or bricks or something like that. That the news will report on the two people that did that, not the 998 that peacefully marched. And it's the same thing here. They they don't get exposed to all the beautiful births at home. They never hear about them. No, and, and it's, so they're, they're not on their radar screen. This is so they great. never have to go into the hospital. Everything is fine. And exactly, it's like. So what she's doing was uh, uh, setting up this collaboration, which um, was great because now yeah. at least. What we need, and especially as people like Dr. Crane get older and I, me get older and we start to slow down or we start to retire, who's going to do it next if we don't start to talk about these people? And, and the women of our communities, all the communities across Dr. Stu's podcast, Listening Land, deserve to have autonomy and decision-making and they deserve to, you know, and home birth is a reasonable choice in enough of the medical literature to say that if you want to choose it and you're a low-risk woman, that you should have that right to choose it and you should have be able to have supportive people helping you. But if you need to go to the hospital, you shouldn't be facing obstacles and ridicule and other things Absolutely like that. Not. And so yes. fortunately here in SoCal, we have enough practitioners right. where we um, uh, have options. Right, and I think that home birth is becoming more and more of a, a common thing here. It's not so rare, and so uh, practitioners are getting exposed to more transports. And I, I've I've luckily found, and I haven't had to go into a hospital too often for transports, just because I'm I'm not doing a ton of births. But I've I haven't found hostility. I haven't found a, a huge wall. I've been pleasantly surprised in the more recent years. Um, you know, nine times out of ten folks are received well if there's a transport and I just think that what Beth and the other folks were doing at Kaiser Sunset uh, yesterday was so awesome just if we could just do that everywhere and on a continuing and ongoing basis because we yeah. have a lot to learn from each other and you know what we don't all you know it, it's funny it, it's a microcosm of what's going on in the bigger world but but it, it is odd that most hospitals will only bring in speakers who they agree with right and they don't bring in speakers who they don't agree with or they want to debate or they want to hear an alternative way of doing something. I mean, I've tried to teach breach delivery. I've tried to put it out there to get to go to teach residents and stuff like that. They're just not interested. And, you know, and I don't, I, I don't really understand why, no matter whether it's personality or whether whatever it is, it shouldn't get in the way of, of higher learning for these people. No, absolutely. Now, what well, doesn't fit their bo their their bottom line, perhaps their their it's a business. It's a way. There's a way of doing business, and you have these huge institutions, you know, rocking the boat and doing trying to insert change or another way of thinking of things. It's just not part of what most of these big systems are interested in and it has to go very very incrementally um, and it takes a lot of effort from people who aren't going to ever see a dollar from doing you know the advocacy work or you know but they they understand the importance I think about breastfeeding of course as a lactation consultant I think about how many years we had no breastfeeding support in hospitals I mean that was just like I, you know unbelievable that you could give birth and if you want to breastfeed no one even knows how to support you and they would just say here here's a bottle of formula um, or here's a bottle of sugar water. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question because sometimes um, I, you can sometimes think that the pendulum swings too far. And now, like I, I have women, um, or I hear through the grapevine, of women who are having trouble with their babies in the first couple of days, their milk hasn't come in yet, 
and the babies are are losing weight and they're fussy and they're you know maybe a little more jaundiced than they should be because they're not getting enough fluid and stuff like that and they absolutely positively resist giving formula so what is the what is the you 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 were in the limelight of this so what is the deal with i mean is it is it just a terrible thing to if they can't get donor milk is it a terrible thing for a baby that's like four pounds 13 ounces who maybe needs a little bit more can't wait three four days for that colostrum to change into milk to to give formula because so many women are are like they're just informed against it they're they're so against it because they've been conditioned to think that that, that they can't that formula is bad well it's a really heavy question and i don't know how much time you want me to spend we talking got, about uh, this. we still got 30 minutes or 20 minutes well this is what i want to say i want to say that we have come a long way where we have in this country where we do have breastfeeding support now in most hospitals, not all. Um, however, the breastfeeding support in hospitals is not ideal. When I sit and work with a, as a private lactation consultant with a new mom, I'm typically taking an hour and a half to two hours with her. How many lactation consultants in hospital can spend an hour and a half or two hours with one individual patient? Instead, they are seeing people, as many people as they can and or need to see and maybe are spending 15 minutes and they have to go to the next patient is it it actually isn't adequate enough time to help someone learn or help someone um, understand how to establish breastfeeding because when you think about it nine times for most women breastfeeding is actually going to work another thing without introduction of a supplement okay so on top of that because you're in a hospital you know how many how many home birth women are are needing to use formula postpartum? Not a lot. No, it's it's really rare. I, but I, I want why? And I'm going to tell you why. Well, because okay. because we have physiologic birth and we have physiologic postpartum. Yeah, I thought baby you were going to ask me to guess that. A baby that. is attached to the mom. 24 7. And so in hospitals, you have an institution that says, well, now we have to take the baby and we're going to go look at the baby for four hours or have them away from you or whatever the case may be. The all the mother infant separation, um, you know, not being allowed to even assume physiologic nursing positions such as laying down on the bed with your baby and nursing. That's like, oh, no, you can do this position, you can do that position in the hospital, but don't lay down and nurse your baby. You're not allowed to do that here because why? Why aren't they allowed to do that there? Because uh, they, because baby the baby may suffocate. If the baby falls <laughs> out the bed. A baby or, falls off the bed. Yeah, right. Then yeah. it's, it, you know, so there's a lot of you can't do this, you can't do that in the hospital. Well, so, because it wasn't written that they could do it. In, they, it's only written down in the policies they can do it in exactly. this procedure or this, or this position. So, so, for instance, just to give you an example, if we go, you know, 40 years ago, mom, babies were taken away from moms routinely after birth. And separated for hours on end, sometimes days, and brought back to the mom. And they were allowed to nurse every four hours for 20 minutes. That was some of the routines that were superimposed upon babies and mothers prior to more breastfeeding advocacy into the hospital. So we still have a little (laughs) bit of that residual. You know, like it's at home birth, a baby is born, it comes to its mom's chest it stays there no but I, uh, yeah, and so okay so i'll let you finish the reason I, why I, people I are the reason why some women are against using formula is because i believe that instinctually they know they know that it's actually supposed to work and i actually probably don't need formula i need better support in getting breastfeeding off to a good start now that said um 
a li- this little four pound three. I'm not even specifically talking about this. A one. little I just, baby I was just that might need some support. Or a, or formula, a mom with not, or a mom with twins. I'm not against formula for a a, a baby that needs it, but a mom it, who needs a baby who needs supplementation should be able to get donor milk. And there's a lot of hoops that a mother well, has. The to hospital jump. won't let donor they milk have, in. Exactly. Why? Well, because it hasn't been certified. It, who knows where it came from? Somebody might get sick from it. Uh, you know, it doesn't have a, a, a date of expiration sticker on it, or who knows it's, what? Are they misunder- can't charge. Or they can't charge for it. I don't probably. Know. I, think, I don't know. So, but they can get they can get donor milk in from a uh, human milk bank that has been pasteurized, actually, and is and is the hospital can. Yes, they can. Do they? Some hospitals do, okay. and some hospitals don't. And it's much, you know, I went through this with my daughter just recently when she birthed, and they were saying, well, we might have to supplement these babies, and we're just going to use formula. And well, she said, well, let me be the devil's advocate here and just for a second and just say, if it's a lot easier or cheaper to use formula, is it's it ter- not? It's not necessarily the best for the baby. Is it really, even if it's only for like a day or two? Well, it's, it's you know what? Till the milk you comes got it, Sometimes you need it. It is. It, let's look at it this way. It's not inherently evil, and it's not, you know, and formula is not inherently evil. It can fill a need, but it shouldn't be the first thing that we go to, Stu, is what I'm saying to you. And I think that we deserve better care. One of the reasons, you know, we des- it shouldn't be the first thing to go to. We should look at how we can help this mom get breastfeeding off to a good start. And sometimes that's the part that's lacking. What the hospital does is say, well, the lactation consultant saw you for 15 minutes. The baby's losing weight. Let's just give the formula. Moms don't want that. Moms right. who are educated don't want that. They're like, no, let's, this is supposed to work. But and in the, in the it, rare case where somebody thinks that it's the best thing to do, and stuff like that. Um, it, it's not harmful to the baby in any way. Does it, it change be. the baby's poops? Does it yes, change it does. the bacteria? Does it? Yes, cha- it does. Okay. It changes all that it because does. Okay. formula See, is, I don't know is, that. is not a living substance, and so you know it is. It is food, but it absolutely changes the baby's gut bacteria. So it, then, my whole generation are st- totally screwed up yep. because of formula. Right? Listen, when you start doing the the looking at some of the studies of the long term oh, effects man. of formula feeding, you see why some of us adults have the diseases we do. As a matter of fact, and the, you know, so I, mean, I can blame everything that's gone wrong in my life to modern medicine because they they, they told my mom to they gave her a shot to dry up her milk and told uh, and told me to be or told my mom to bottle feed me. It's, well, I can blame them. Yeah, you can on uh, on some things. Nice. <laughs> There's I want, an association. I, want, I can go for reparations. Yeah. <laughs> There's an association. <laughs> yeah, you just need to, you know, it's just like getting your foreskin back. If you got circumcised, yeah. and you, didn't, you know, you didn't have a choice in that, right? Yeah, but I didn't know what I'm missing. Though. You, you don't know what you're missing. I, but the, you only know, way what would, you, the only way I would know is if I had two penises and, the, and they did one and the other one and then I could tell the difference. <laughs> well, listen, but otherwise, there's no if way you knew know. what you were missing, <laughs> you'd want it back. <laughs> How do you know? From It's pretty good. It, if you it, knew what you're missing. You know what? It works, you know you can it, do foreskin reconstruction surgery. You, I could? Yeah, they have that. So, so the the people who've gotten it, gotten a, a reconstruction say it's way better than a circumcised penis. So. Really? Yes. So I, would, do some I, would, research. I would be we surprised can... if they went through all that and then said it was worse, though. <laughs> so you're talking with a skewed population there. Okay. Anyway, all right, we're moving on because that really degenerated. <laughs> I was just curious about oh, that. Now the... <laughs> I, w- I was really curious about that because... No, because formula uh, has a place. Let's just yeah. put it this way. But it's not the next best choice Well, no, donor, donor milk, milk is. And we have a great network here, but there's a lot of communities across the world that don't have... A network to get donor milk. I mean, it's not easy. Yes, they do. And a lot of communities do. It's like the woman breastfeeding next to them. Can I have, you know, can she would donate milk? Oh, the hospital wouldn't let that happen. You don't, you know what? It's (laughs) every hospital is not like U.S. hospitals. I don't know exactly what you're comparing it to. 
Well, the only I'm comparing it to only what I know. That's all you can do. Donor milk. It's a tautology. Is another you only know what you know. No, donor's milk is another mother's milk. And you think about it, babies have been fed with other milk besides their mothers since the beginning of time. So there is a way that we. Yes, there's a whole TV series on that right now. Isn't there? <laughs> really? Yeah, Handmaid's Tale. Isn't that oh, that's, that's right. So, 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 the point is that you know, right now because of the day and age we are in, it seems very foreign to use another mother's milk. Because we, uh, we well, always... Well, people are worried about germs or something like right, that. Right, but, but, but do we know where the cow was? was? Where, where was the cow no, and there's, that made you know, the formula? The, 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 do we know. know her? Did we get an interview, a resume from that particular group of cows right. that and donated neighbor, their your milk? Your neighbor doesn't have hepatitis or HIV. But or you can ask for that information. You can actually yes, ask a can. donor to provide you with that of information. Of course you can. But you can't ask the cow. No. And by the way, formulas sometimes, even though they go through a, you know, this cow's milk goes <laughs> through a process. I couldn't even think of a comeback for that one. You, yeah. Even though it goes through a process, there's different types of bacteria that live in some formulas just, which, you know, because of the, the um, because it's a, it's a food. And sometimes we get bacteria, bacteria, bad formula, things like that. So there's definitely risks. And um, I think that moms just are asking for more support. And I, for myself, when I talk to moms and I have to suggest supplementing, I let them know all the different things they can supplement with in it. That can be donor milk. That can be their own milk if they're able to pump it out. Sometimes they can use a, a breast pump to take out colostrum that may be a baby that's small and weak and having a hard time so nursing. This is a, this is a this is a strong push for really good lactation consulting with, with women because you know what you're right. At the hospitals, I'm sure that they do their best these people, but they're overloaded. Right. Just, just like the model of uh, of care for women in labor is overloaded. Exactly. That you can't get individualized care. So let me that brings me to uh, that was all pretty good stuff that we talked about, all those nice births and the collaborations and things. Here's a letter that I got um, uh, about uh, not quite two weeks ago from Katrine in New York City. She writes, Dear Dr. Stu, first off, I would like to say that your podcast is inspirational. I had, I had to put that part in. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> Therapeutic and has helped answer so many questions that I had regarding obstetrics in the U.S. Now to the meat and potatoes. I recently delivered at Lenox Hill Medical Center in New York City. Mm -hmm. And this isn't specifically to bash them. I'm sure they have good outcomes there too, but she's, this is, she wants to be specific. Okay. She had a healthy baby boy and my first, and no, he wasn't breech. What made me upset is the way I was handled by my OB. And I did, by the way, I asked her in a f subsequent follow-up note, I asked her, was this her OB that she'd been with all along, or was this an OB that she had gotten that day on call? Mm -hmm. And she told me, she said, uh, this was my physician from weeks, week six wow. to 40. Okay. Um, the rub is that he was one of the few five-star rated doctors that my insurance covered. Mm. Right? I'm not mentioning any names. What made me upset was the way I was handled by my OB, more specifically in his lack of tact and aggressive approach when I was so vulnerable. Mm. My first complaint was that he did not honor my request of delayed cord clamping. Mm -hmm. I was screamed at for not getting an epidural and was called crazy. Ultimately, I wimped out and agreed to an epidural. I'm still paying that off, by the way, she said. Mm. Lastly, I was given an episiotomy and informed about it after I was stitched up. My question is this, quote, shouldn't an OB inform the patient first that he will be performing an episiotomy before doing it and did I really need it, unquote? Hmm. All right, Kimberly, answer that question, please. Yes. Okay, thank you. Right. You should have given her <laughs> yeah, informed consent. Yeah, you just yes is good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, duh. Seriously? And we've been through this before because we, you know, we have that one case here in Southern California where 
The woman was, was cut, cut 12, like 12 times. or 13 times. Right. right. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. That's on video. After he was done, he said, quote, I made a little cut, two stitches, no big deal, unquote. The baby was left, oh, the baby was LOA, mm-hmm. um, by the way. Mm-hmm. I felt like some kind of science project that had absolutely no say in terms of what was happening to my body. Now, I'm sorry this, to hear that. This is Yeah, me too, uh, Katrine. This is something that I talk about all the time. I, I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts back about, I think it was one Stranger in a Strange Land podcast about my experience at the ACOG uh, convention down in San Diego last spring, was that they would, pe- people like Johns Hopkins or other places would present their protocols for how they deal with twins or how they deal with VBACs and stuff like that, and it would not once during the entire lecture did they talk about what the woman might want. <laughs> it's never discussed. Yep, you're so absolutely right. That's actually the norm, and that you know, I I don't think that people are mean or 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 cruel when they do that. I think they're just basically they're. It's a patriarchy. It's a patriarchy. Yeah, they, paradigm. they they're not thinking. It's all it's all they know. Um, and it very is a even though there's a lot of women involved in healthcare, they're just as yeah. patriarchal they, as they as, didn't create that system. Yeah, I felt like some kind. Of, oh, I said that already. Um, my partner has limited English proficiency and had difficulty advocating for me. Also, why did he delay the cord? Why did he not delay the cord clamping? I mean, I can't answer that question, but I can tell you that he probably thinks it's silly. That would be my guess. That's not how he does things. That's why he didn't. My do baby it. had Apgar scores of nine and nine and was in no distress. Thank you for reading, and please continue your podcast, which of course we will. Okay, uh, can I just say, Katrine, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and I think that obviously we hear things that happen in birth that women are, you know, that are even more upsetting. But the point is that when you're made to feel powerless, um, it, it, that's traumatic. And we really appreciate you reaching out. Um, and uh, listen, just keep reaching out and keep advocating for yourself. Yeah. And, and again, she goes on to tell me in a, in a follow-up letter after I wrote her back, um, he said that you know, he knew everything about me. And I, and I stated many times that I wanted natural birth with no unnecessary interventions. I guess a few warning signs that I didn't pay attention to was that he won. He would do a pelvic exam and not tell me what lab specimens he was collecting. He would just shove his hand. I mean, this is her word, so I don't, I'm not trying to be pejorative here. He would shove his hand in there, ask the nurse for some tubes, say, you're doing great, and leave the examining room. Not even, a, I'm about to do a pelvic exam, and do you have any questions? Um, and she says, you know, quote, what if I were a rape victim, unquote. Yes. Why do you have to be a rape victim to be offended or right. upset by that? Secondly. Well, uh, honestly, she just became a rape victim. That's obstetric rape. That's what that well, is. Well, yeah. yeah I, I just don't like belittling the word rape, but you're right. It's not belittling. Obstetric violence, maybe. It's obstetric violence. It's, it's yeah. obstetric rape because she had no consent for someone to put something into her body, and she did not consent to that. He did not okay. say, I'm going to do a pelvic exam or, you know, next I'm How going to- How hard is it to do that, that, by the way? How hard is it to say somebody, that, may I touch your belly now? Exactly. I'm going to measure your baby now. Exactly. I'm going to put a little jelly on your thing. It might be a little warm or it might be a little cold, depending right. if they're nicer or, or mean. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if they have a heater or no heater for their jelly. Yeah. You know? Okay. She, he chastised me for gaining 18 pounds in 30 weeks. Okay. Do you know what the average weight gain in 30 weeks is? It's more like 25 it's or 20 something pounds. like that. Yeah. So 18 pounds in 30 weeks is normal. And she says, which made me super confused because glucose test was normal. I felt great. He sat me down and said, no more white rice, bread, or sugar. So she had no idea why he was saying those things. Not to mention, no, he doesn't even know she's eating white rice, bread, and sugar. Well, she might, he might have asked. But I'm just saying <laughs> that, that uh, we don't know his side of the story. But 18 pounds in 30 weeks is actually quite normal. And, 
And the truth is, is that in the midwifery model, what do we do with about weighing patients? We don't even weigh people. That's correct. We don't. And why don't we? We only weigh them if we, we sense that there's a problem yes, with their diets exactly. or, you know, visually with what we're seeing or right. whatever. They're not or gaining they, or weight. Or they do have high blood sugar. And then we have to say, okay, let's figure out what's going because on. Because women are designed, if they eat normal and healthy, which in the midwifery model we're very conscientious of, to gain whatever weight they're genetically pre-programmed to gain. And if some women gain 20 pounds, they can have a 9-pound baby. And other women can gain 60 pounds and have a 7-pound baby. Absolutely. And it has nothing to do with that. It's just sort of the way their body is designed. And weight gain in pregnancy is really a biological thing because the body is preserving fat and, and other things for the baby should a time of starvation come. It's a pri- very it, primitive... Uh, you need fat on your body yeah. for breastfeeding, speaking of breastfeeding. Yeah, it's a very primitive uh, way of a body preparing for... Caring for this, the baby, whether there's hard times or good times. Exactly. And then lastly, she says, depressingly, got very angry and condescending and stated that it's, quote, critical that I go when I question the necessity of a 36-week ultrasound. Commuting to the Upper East Side from my home is one hour and, 30, and at 36 weeks I was tired, yet he stated I must go. So I, paid in, I, I went and paid $100. Um, if that's all you paid, that's actually... In New York, that's probably pretty well, cheap. Well, it was probably a copay to something. Oh, maybe it was, yeah. Because he made her go, so he made it seem right. like a medical Right, because necessity. that was what was left over after the insurance. Oh, right. right. Okay. should finish reading the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, so she ended up paying $100 for a completely unnecessary ultrasound in somebody who had a normal-sized baby who was having no problems whatsoever because the protocol that they have with the maternal fetal medicine group or whoever does their ultrasound is that they do an ultrasound of 36 weeks to probably do what? To probably confirm fetal position. And that he could have done with his hands correct. if he did that. And of course, what happens when you do a 36-week ultrasound? You find yeah. things. Yeah, I was going to say. Or, oh, your baby's getting kind of big in there. Yeah, or the fluid is a little, little high low. or the little low. Yeah, or, we need to kind of induce this baby right, right at... Or yeah. that placenta. Oh, that grade of that placenta yes. is. Yes. Your placenta is exactly. getting old. Yeah. Now, again... Every one of those things is, is like is like throwing a dart of anxiety into uh, the the dartboard of the <laughs> pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. Boom. Absolutely. Boom. Absolutely. Boom. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, um, I wanted to talk about this because I told her I would, <laughs> but also because it's her story, maybe different from other people's stories, but it's the same kind of thing. Women need to stand up, and this again, this was a, a five star guy in 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 her community. But she needs to write a review. She needs to tell other women that what the podcast will do is make sure that other women know that they have the right to ask. And people do not have the right to do things to them without consent. Absolutely. And also to uh, follow your instincts in terms of like, as as your writer mentioned, you know, she should have... She, she kind of had some red flags come up for her in different I- I- times. And I think, you know, part of the patriarchal culture that we live in is like you know the 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 male figure the ex the expert the doctor the whoever knows better than us knows more they're they're the expert and I hear that she was feeling some things and hearing some things in, in herself but for some reason you know she went back we go back women do this all the time um we sometimes we continually second guess ourselves and we second guess what our instincts are saying and sometimes we don't want to rock the boat and sometimes we're you know nervous because this is our first time so we we're just trying to feel it out but it's it's so empowering i mean how many births have we how many uh parents have we received at the very end of their pregnancy 
because they're just so unhappy with their care. And and it's so empowering for that parent when they make that change, even if it's at 38 weeks or 39 weeks, you know, they, they're not in labor yet. And they can get to a place where they're so fed up that they say, I can't birth with this person. I don't care if I've been going with them for seven or eight months to see them. And I think that a lot of folks do not feel that they can change providers. Yeah, you know, at some point they say, well, I, I don't know. I've been with them this long. I'll well, just stick yeah, they with say it. that. And, you know, and, and complacency is, you know, and uh, inertia is a big factor. Um, when, when women do that sort of thing, um, they often feel, like you said, they feel very empowered. But the problem for a lot of women is that if they get to about 30 weeks or 32 weeks and they're not happy with their physician, unless they can find a midwife to maybe take them, a lot of physicians don't take new doc, new, new right. clients. You're right. You're absolutely um, I don't right. Know how that, I, don't know, I, I don't know how that fits in with the Hippocratic Oath to, to basically turn people away. Well, I think that that's out there and I think that people know feel like they're going to have a hard time trying to change. But I think that um, if you're feeling unhappy with your care, and this is for anyone out there who's listening, that feels unhappy with their care, seek out other care. Seek out additional support at the very least. You know, maybe uh, your, your writer, your listener could have um, gotten a doula that could help her figure out how to advocate more for herself or even but let's be real well, that, that's actually a great suggestion you know what I'm because uh you know although i don't know sometimes at certain hospitals they, they basically uh castrate the duelists well absolutely right. but but the point is this i mean this is each situation with pregnancy and birth it's a learning experience and um i think our mess my message to our listeners would be to seek out support in whatever fat form fashion that you can or that works for you there's so many organizations that are out there advocating for pregnant women and their rights unfortunately when you you know what i know what it's like when you're not a parent this stuff is not on your radar screen right. you get pregnant for the first time and you do what almost everybody else does you go into your insurance and you figure out what ob can you go to and you go to that person and you figure like well they know what they're doing because i've never done this before so i'm just gonna you know well they seem nice enough <laughs> you don't think to like really Delve in, into, into what the birth is going to look like. Yeah. You don't even know. Most folks are going into their birth experience knowing that they're going to get drugs to knock out the pain. So, you know. Or thinking that they don't really, they, they think that that's the best way to do it. They, but most, most of the time because they're scared. Most of the time. Well, everybody's scared. They're scared of birth. And yeah, everybody's scared So they are Sadly. looking for someone to, to kind of be con in control of it for them. They're not driving the ship or the boat, their own boat. They're like, this doctor's going to take care of it for me. Yep. It's very good advice. And I hope you people that are listening today will, you know, again, when you, when you know somebody's pregnant, don't give unsolicited advice. But when the opportunity arises to make suggestions to them, that's fine. I mean, I think you have to be really careful with families and friends about giving them advice and offering them information that might be different from what they're planning because that can also be upsetting and, and, and rock the boat. But sometimes it's important. I think it's really important. It's always important. For it's parents just, to get education about birth. And, yeah. We and don't want to be bullies on our side just like they're bullies on their side. No, absolutely not. Yeah. But if you encourage parents to get good childbirth education, good education that's going to prepare them for parenting, then they're... They're smart enough to make their own decisions. They just need to get in, you know, immersed into a new world, going into a new world that they've never thought of before. They've never yeah. delved into. Before. Okay, so so we're almost out of time here, but I wanted to uh, end the podcast with an up note with the Kimberly uh, grandma update. Yeah, I want to hear. Uh, you know, last time we talked to Kimberly, her daughter had had 
mono mono twins and they got to all the way to about 34 weeks did they get to yeah actually they could have stayed in longer because they were doing great so let's fill us in as we uh, uh play our theme song and uh tell us a little bit about your um your your my gran- daughter grandkids. gave birth yeah um she and her partner uh their babies were born about four weeks ago um and uh, they did have a c-section um things went smoothly the babies came out what are the names echo and, and Nolly, and they are beautiful. They're healthy. They stayed in the NICU so here, for a couple a, of here's couple a question, weeks. Here's a, here's a question that some some doesn't now. understand. Mono mono twins are, uh, are they both? Are they a boy and a girl? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. As of now, they're both girls. Yeah, they're and both who knows what will happen? Yeah, in that's the future. true. You never know. They could, they, they could be a boy tomorrow. <laughs> hey, listen. So that's congratulations, Kimberly, and to your daughter and all that stuff. It's been great. So this has been podcast number one fifteen. I hate to go because I, I think that. Uh, it's always good to have, be back with Kimberly and uh, talk about whatever we could talk about. We've got some more stuff coming up on podcast number 116, which will be out uh, the, later this week. So find us on iTunes, find us on Facebook, like us so whenever you can. Write me at askdrstew at gmail.com. I want to thank everybody that wrote in, uh, that made comments. Oh, I also want to mention that uh, uh, Renee, uh, my. Uh, Hi, Renee. That does everything for me is working on fixing podcast number 49, 54, 56, and 57, which Mariana from Portugal was so nice to point out are not working currently on the system. If anybody finds any other podcasts that aren't, that aren't playing, please uh, send them on email at askdrstew at gmail.com. See you all later.